Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So awesome that you guys are here. And we are one church that meets in multiple locations. We have family this morning joining us out at Stone Canyon, as well as others who will join us online. So if you would take a moment, put your hands together, welcome them to our time of study here today. And we're so glad you're here for the second week of our series, You're Invited. And every week in this series, we're throwing a party because we don't believe that God ever intended the church to be something that's boring or dull or irrelevant. We believe that God intended to be, uh, for the church to be a community where the joy of heaven invades the sadness of earth. We have reason to celebrate every single day. Even on our worst day, we have reason for joy. And so we're excited you're here and every week in this series, we are throwing a different type of party. Last week, we had a tailgate party, and that was a lot of fun. It was great seeing you guys come out in all of your different, or your different sports teams. And something that was kind of special for me was my parents got to be here last weekend. They flew in from Kentucky, and they knew about tailgate Sunday. I told them, so they wore their Kentucky blue. And my dad went out and bought a special shirt just to stand out as a UK fan. And so here's a picture of my family from last Sunday. If you want to take a look on the screen. And there he is. And his Hawaiian-style Kentucky shirt, that's just awesome. Props to my dad for doing that. I appreciate him supporting his UK blue. Uh, but we had a fun time last week, and this week our theme is a cookout, because it's Labor Day weekend, and when I think of Labor Day, I think of grilling out, I think of a cookout, and when I think of a cookout, there are some certain images that come to mind. The first image that comes to mind is that of a grill, of course. My family growing up, we always grilled out, hamburgers, hot dogs, sometimes steaks, you guys probably do the same, and so today, as a church family, we're grilling out. We hope you'll stay after services so we have enough hamburgers and hot dogs for everybody. You're invited. Don't worry, you didn't have to bring anything. It's all on us. We just want you to stay and have a good time with our church family here. So stay afterwards as we grill out and we eat some food together and have an awesome time. But then when I think of Labor Day, I also think of games, you know, like backyard games like this one, Cornhole. I've heard that some people around here call it like beanbag toss or something. I call it cornhole. Beanbag toss just sounds weird, like cornhole is cool. But anyway, uh, that's what I call it. And so whether it's beanbag toss, cornhole, uh, uh, whether it's croquet or horseshoes, whatever, all different types of backyard games you can play. And I remember on any given Labor Day playing games like this. But also when I think about a cookout, what comes to mind is a cooler. Now don't get nervous. What's in this cooler is good, okay? I just want to let you know. But I think of a cooler, and what comes to mind for me, things like lemonade. I've got some Chick-fil-A lemonade here. Any Chick-fil-A lemonade fans? All right, few of you. I fear there'd be more than that. Yeah, I like my lemonade. I also like sweet tea. I'm from the South, so I like sweet tea. Any sweet tea fans? A lot more, all right. But then I also think of one other thing, and this is because of my mom. I also think of watermelon because my mom can eat her weight in watermelon. And every Labor Day, we had to have it. And I found out that we have some staff members here at First Church who also like watermelon. So we decided to have a little competition, watermelon eating competition. And I gave them a minute to see who could eat the most watermelon. We put five of our staff members on camera. Take a look and see what happened.
Now, that was C.J. Everson, our Stone Canyon minister, who won. You might be wondering, if you're watching closely, he didn't eat near as much as James Summers, our next-gen director. That's because James cheated. He was spitting his watermelon out on the ground, and we saw it afterwards, okay? So we disqualified James, and C.J. was declared the winner. Sierra came in a close honorable mention as well. She was holding her own. But, you know, when I think about a cookout, I think about y'all grilling and a cooler. I think about backyard games and all that sort of stuff. But I also think about doing all those things with people. Because that's really what makes a cookout fun, right? Spending time with the people you love. And the more I study the life of Jesus, the more I realize how much Jesus enjoyed spending time with people. Now, I know that may seem kind of obvious to us. You know, of course, Jesus likes spending time with people. But I think sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Because I grew up in church, and I knew who Jesus was from a very young age. And yet, there was a season in my life when I kind of thought, you know, Jesus came to earth, but he came to earth because he had to. He kind of just tolerates us more than likes us because we messed up. We messed up his world, and so he created us, and he had to do something with us, basically. So he came to save us more out of obligation than anything else. But as I've grown in my spiritual life, as I've gotten to know Jesus better, the more I've realized Jesus doesn't just love the world. He loves me, and he loves you, and he really likes hanging around us. He likes spending time with us. He actually does like us. And you see this over and over again in the Gospels as Jesus spends time with people. And one way that Jesus liked to spend time with people was eating a meal with them. Yeah, Jesus, like many of us, enjoyed eating. But more than eating, he liked eating with people. And oftentimes, Jesus would eat with those that no one else would eat with. And that's going to be the case in the passage that we're going to study today in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up with me Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to be camped out today. And we're going to look at Jesus encountering a man named Zacchaeus who no one really wanted to eat with, but Jesus was willing to eat with him. And basically what's going on as you turn to Luke chapter 19, Jesus is passing through Jericho in order to go to Jerusalem for the very last time. Jericho was kind of the last stop before you got to Jerusalem. And so Jesus passing through this city and huge crowds are gathered around him. Jesus is at the height of his popularity. There's a lot of hype surrounding Jesus right now. Everywhere he goes, dozens, hundreds, thousands of people are gathering around him because Jesus has been doing miracle after miracle. He's been teaching these profound truths, and people want to get close to Jesus. So as Jesus is entering the city of Jericho, people are lining the streets in order to see him, in order to meet him. And in the crowd that day was a guy named Zacchaeus. And what I find interesting is Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus, but I'm not sure if he was ready for Jesus to see him. So let's read and see what happened. Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start at the first verse. And the scripture says this, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Let's hit pause just for a quick second. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard the name Zacchaeus before. And if you don't know his story, you probably know his song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was 
you guys know it, good. And if, you're, if you didn't grow up in church, you're probably thinking we're all nuts. And yeah, we are, but not for that reason, not because we know the song. But Zacchaeus is known for being a wee little man. And I'm sure Zacchaeus is real happy with the guy who wrote that little children's song that has immortalized him as a wee little man. <laughs> I'm sure that's what all guys want to be known for, right? But he was a short guy. The average male in the first century Jewish world was about five foot three to five foot five. So Zacchaeus is shorter than that because he can't see over their heads. But what's more important to me is not his size, but his role in society, his occupation. Luke chapter 19 tells us Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And what we need to understand today is that tax collectors were despised and hated in Jesus' day in the Jewish culture. Now, none of us really like paying taxes. Anybody enjoy paying taxes? Want to raise your hand? Yeah, okay, and there's no hands going up. If you raise your hand, we probably would all think you're weird. But yeah, none of us enjoy paying taxes. But it's not just that they didn't enjoy paying taxes. The Jews in the first century world, they hated, they despised tax collectors. And here's why. Because the Jewish area, the Jewish land, it had been conquered by the Romans. So the Jews were under Roman authority. They were under the authority of a foreign power. And the Romans, they taxed the Jews to death. And in order to keep the Jews in order, the Romans placed soldiers on every street corner. If you got out of line just for a second, those Roman soldiers were ready to pounce. They were ready to arrest you, have you beaten, maybe even have you killed. And no one questioned it because they had ultimate authority. So the Jews, they hated the Romans, and they hated the fact that they had to pay taxes to live on their own land. But you see, the Romans, they had this unique system for collecting taxes. What they would do is they would appoint or they would kind of contract out a local person in order to collect taxes. So among the Jewish people, they would hire a Jewish man or Jewish men to collect taxes, and here's why the locals would know where everyone lived. In a day before you had GPS and a day before everybody registered where they lived, the locals would know where everyone lived so Rome could get the most taxes out of that area. So if you agreed to be a tax collector for Rome, you were siding with the enemy you were joining the enemy. You were considered a traitor. You were considered a sellout. You were considered a sleazeball. But you see, there was a lot of money in collecting taxes. And so certain men agreed to do it. And what Rome would do is Rome would say, hey, we just want this certain amount of money from a region, and we don't care how you get it. Just as long as we get our cut, just as long as we get the amount that we want, we don't care how you collect it, tax collectors. So tax collectors would overcharge people, and they would keep the extra for themselves. Tax collectors were hated and despised. I mean, imagine being a first century Jewish person and you're walking by a guy like Zacchaeus' house and as you walk by this huge mansion, this huge home, you realize he got that huge house because he's been robbing your family. He's been stealing from your people, his own people. Imagine being a mom in this world and you pass by his house and your kids are going hungry but Zacchaeus is well fed. Imagine being a Jewish mom and your kids are freezing at night, but Zacchaeus is warm in that nice big mansion he lives in. Tax collectors like Zacchaeus were hated. And here's the thing, Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector, he's the chief tax collector of this region, meaning he's in charge of all the other tax collectors. 
He has a lot of authority and a lot of power. And even though tax collectors were hated and despised, they were also feared. You did not want to tick a tax collector off. You know why? They had the power and the authority of Rome on their side. You tick them off, they would charge you more taxes. And if you didn't pay, they had the right to send those Roman soldiers after you to get those taxes or throw you in prison. You didn't want to tick off a tax collector. They were despised, but they were feared. And that's who Zacchaeus is. And what's interesting is Zacchaeus, this sellout among sellouts, this guy who has all this authority and power, decides to run ahead of the crowd that's gathered on this certain day to see Jesus in order to get a glimpse of a Jewish rabbi. It's kind of an odd scene. Just imagine this wealthy, corrupt guy running ahead of commoners to climb a tree in a three-piece suit in order to get a glimpse of this teacher passing by. It would have been an odd scene. But I think Zacchaeus did this for a couple of reasons. Let me make a few observations. The first is this. I think Zacchaeus probably had trouble sleeping at night. Yeah, he had a lot of money. He had a lot of fame. He had a lot of power. But... None of that brought him peace. His big house and nice things didn't bring him lasting satisfaction and contentment. He felt as if something was missing. And some of us listening to this message today, we've had to learn that lesson the hard way. We've had to learn the hard way that money, possessions, fame, power, influence are very poor substitutes for what our souls, what our hearts are longing for. See, I believe we're all longing for the same thing. We were all created to live in relationship with the God who designed us and loves us. And until we have a restored relationship with him, we will exist, but we will never really live. See, I'm convinced that deep within the soul of every human being is a longing for the restored presence of God. And until we have that, we will always feel like we are missing something in life. We will never be content. Because here's the thing, you can have all the money in the world, but you can't buy inner satisfaction and peace. You can chase after every pleasure that's out there in our culture today, but the problem is once the buzz, once the high wears off, you're right back where you started. You can, you can chase after power and influence and get it, but still feel very lonely, still feel, still feel very isolated. And I'm convinced that was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a man who had everything but who also had nothing. And I believe he was desperate to find out what he was missing. And I use the word desperate for a reason because remember what our text says. It says that Zacchaeus ran ahead of the crowd and climbed a tree. See, dignified men in the first century Jewish world, they did not run and they did not climb. Slaves would run and climb in order to carry out work for their masters. Children would run and climb in order to play. But dignified, proper men would not run, especially not in public, and they would not climb. One of the reasons why they didn't do it, besides the fact it was beneath them, they thought, also because of the garments that they wore, the clothing that they wore, they would expose themselves by running or climbing. Dignified men did not run, did not climb in public, and yet we find Zacchaeus doing just that. Why? Because he had trouble sleeping at night, and he thought that maybe, just maybe, this Jesus he's heard about might have what he's missing. But also, I think Zacchaeus ran ahead of the crowd and climbed that tree for another reason, and it's this. I think Zacchaeus was a little unsure of Jesus. See, yes, Zacchaeus ran ahead of the crowd and climbed the tree because he couldn't see over the crowd, but here's the thing. He didn't have to climb that tree. 
Remember what I said, Zacchaeus is a powerful man. He is the head tax collector of this region. If Zacchaeus wanted a meeting with somebody, all he had to do was ask for it. All he had to do was ask for a meeting with somebody, and you had to meet with him. If not, you got in big-time trouble. Zacchaeus would send those soldiers after you to bring you to him. All Zacchaeus had to do was ask for a meeting with Jesus, and he could have had it. And even if he didn't want a formal meeting with Jesus... People got out of the way of tax collectors. You did not want to tick them off. And so if Zacchaeus wanted to get to the front of the crowd in order to see Jesus, all he had to do was flash that IRS badge, and they would have parted like the Red Sea. They would have got out of his way. You did not want to make a tax collector mad. And yet Zacchaeus doesn't get the crowd out of his way. He doesn't call for an official meeting with Jesus. He runs ahead of the crowd and climbs a tree in order to see Jesus. Why? I think it's because Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus, but he wasn't sure if he wanted Jesus to see him. He wanted a glimpse of Jesus, but he wasn't sure if he wanted to get too close to Jesus. And I think we all know people who want to get close to Jesus, but for whatever reason, not too close. Maybe they're afraid Jesus won't accept them. Maybe they don't want to get too close to Jesus because they're nervous about what he might ask of them or from them. Maybe Jesus' way of life makes them feel a little uncomfortable and they don't think they're ready for it just yet. Maybe they wonder if Jesus can really love someone like them. I don't know Zacchaeus' reason, but we all know people who want to get a glimpse of Jesus, who want to see Jesus, but they also want to keep their distance. They don't want to get too close. And if I'm being transparent with you, there have been seasons in my life where that's been me. There have been seasons in my life when I have intentionally stayed away from Jesus because I knew that if I got too close to him, I would have to give up what I wanted in life. And so I decided to stay away from him in order to live for me. And I bet if you're being transparent this morning and honest, you've probably had seasons like that too. So Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but he's not sure if he wants Jesus to see him. So just imagine Zacchaeus' shock when Jesus does what he does next. Read on with me verse 5 of Luke chapter 19. When Jesus came by, when he came by the spot where Zacchaeus was in the tree, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus does here. Not only does Jesus stop in the midst of this crowd that's around him and notice Zacchaeus, he does something else significant. He calls Zacchaeus by name. He doesn't say, hey, you, hey, buddy, up there in the tree, hey, mister, come on down here. No, he looked at Zacchaeus in the eye and he said, Zacchaeus, Come down from here. He calls him by name, and I think that's important because names matter because people matter. When you use someone's name, you are adding value to their life. And I try to use people's names when I talk to them, but I have to admit something. I struggle remembering names. It is just an issue I have, and that's bad because of the occupation that I have, but I struggle to remember names. I really do. And it's something where somebody, it's one of those situations where people come and talk to me, and since somebody walks away, I'll ask, what was their name? I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that. The next time I see them, I forget. And I hate that because I want to use people's names because I know by using someone's name, it adds value to the conversation that you're having with them. And all of us have probably had one 
one of those moments when somebody's name escapes us, you know, when you're trying to think of it. So instead of using their name, you're like, uh, you know, hey, buddy, hey, champ, hey, sport, hey, friend, whatever. You're just trying to come up with some term of endearment because you want to use their name, but you just can't think of it. We've all been there. Zacchaeus is called by name because Jesus wants him to know, I notice you and I know who you are. What's interesting is we have no indications that Zacchaeus and Jesus had ever met before, but what is Jesus doing here? He wants Zacchaeus to know, I want to be your friend. And that's why what happens next is so important because Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to your house and we're going to have a party. I'm coming over to your house, and we're going to have a cookout. We're going to eat together. And that's significant because in this day and age, in the Jewish culture, to have a meal at someone's house meant that you accepted them, meant that you were befriending them. And what I love about this moment is Jesus wanted to be Zacchaeus' friend long before Zacchaeus was ready to be Jesus' friend. You know, that was true for me. Jesus wanted to be my friend long before I was ready to be Jesus' friend. Jesus loved me long before I was ready to love him. And the same is probably true for you. And right now, you may be thinking, hey, you know, I'm not really ready to enter into this relationship with Jesus. I'm not ready to befriend Jesus. I'm not ready to, like, express this love for Jesus that Jesus wants me to have for him. I get that. But I want to let you know right now where you are, Jesus already loves you. He already wants to be friends with you. He already wants to enter into a relationship with you. He's ready for you to come out of the tree, because Jesus doesn't want there to be any distance between you and him. I have a home office at my house, and I do a lot of work from there, especially in the mornings. I get up early, and so I'll get up an hour or two before Allison and the kids get up, and I'll go into my home office, which I call my study, and I'll just uh, do some work, maybe have some prayer time, whatever, and a lot of times I'll keep the door open so that when the kids get up, they can come on in, they can see me because I love seeing them, but every now and then I'll keep the door shut because I'm really trying to focus on something, and Allison has told our kids, if daddy has the doors to his home office shut, don't interrupt him, just come see me or turn on the TV, whatever but don't interrupt him because he's busy doing something and we don't want to bother him. We don't want to mess him up. And yet, any time that I shut my doors, you know what happens? Alex, my six-year-old, he won't open the door, but he will crawl on the floor. He'll get close to the ground and he will crawl on the floor and the doors to my office, they're French doors, so there's windows in them and he will poke his head up from the very bottom and just look at me and stare at me and he won't touch the door, he won't open it, but he just wants to see me. And the other morning he was doing this and I pulled up my phone and took a picture of him. Here he is looking at me through the door. You can see him just smiling like, Daddy, open the door, Daddy, open the door. And so you know what I did when I saw Alex like that? I looked, in, I looked at him and I said, be gone, child. Your father is busy. Do not mess with me. Go back and see your mother now. No, I didn't do that. Of course I didn't do that. You know what I did when I saw Alex smiling, looking at me? I did this. Come on in. Come on in. And he opened the door with a smile on his face and he came on in. He gave me a big hug. He sat in my lap. We talked for a few minutes. I went and got him some breakfast. And why did I say, come on in, even though I was in the middle of doing something? Because I never want my kids, I never want my wife, I never want my family to think that I'm too busy for them. I always want them to know they matter to me, that I am always there for them. And I think that's what Jesus came to let us know about our God. Guys, our God, he is never too busy for you. 
He never gets tired of you. He always wants to spend time with you. He loves you. You matter to him. And if you don't hear anything else I say here today, hear that. You matter to God. And Jesus came to let guys like Zacchaeus know that. And he came to let people like you and me know that as well. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he didn't see a thief or a crook. He saw one who was loved by God. And when God looks at you today, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, he sees one who is loved by God. So Jesus, what does he do? He goes over to Zacchaeus' house for a cookout. And can't you just picture this? I can just picture Jesus and Zacchaeus. They're on Zacchaeus' back deck, and they're cooking out. They're grilling something on the grill, and they're just having a good time, laughing, chatting it up. I'm sure Zacchaeus, he's a wealthy man, so he probably had a big screen, flat, you know, flat screen TV out on his deck, and he probably had a stone fire pit and pool and all that kind of stuff. And he's sitting around with Jesus. The TV's probably on. They're watching a football game. You know, it's an epic battle between the Jerusalem camels and the Jericho gnats or something. I don't know, but it's just epic battle going on, and they're cheering for their favorite team. And I bet in that moment, as Zacchaeus spends time with Jesus, he's never felt more loved. He's never felt more accepted. He's never felt like his life mattered as it did in that moment. But here's the thing. Not everyone's laughing. Not everyone thinks this is a good thing. As Zacchaeus and Jesus and maybe some other friends that Zacchaeus invited over are grilling out on the back deck, there are people across the fence watching what's going on who are grumbling about what's happening. In verse 7 it says, but the people were displeased. He, speaking of Jesus, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious Sinner, they grumbled. So there are self-righteous people, religious people outside of the party that are upset that Jesus and Zacchaeus are spending this time together. They believe Jesus' attention should be elsewhere. They're basically saying Jesus and Zacchaeus don't belong at the same party. And during my time in ministry, I've been in preaching ministry now for 17 years. During my time in ministry, what I've discovered is Living on mission will always draw criticism. When you're doing what God wants you to do, you will be criticized for it. It will not always be easy. And sometimes the biggest barrier to lost people finding Jesus are self-righteous and self-proclaimed religious people. I mean, honestly, living on mission requires thick skin. I remember when I first started in ministry, I thought I had thick skin. I even told people, oh yeah, I've got thick skin. I can handle the pressures of ministry. Guys, I just want to let you know, I didn't know what thick skin was. And over the last 17 years, I have developed thicker skin, but I still don't have thick skin like I should. Because when somebody gets upset, and they may not even be directly upset at me, but somebody gets upset at our church for whatever reason, I take that to heart. It hurts me. And I know I should just turn over to God and pray about it, but it still hurts me. I'm I'm human. And what I have found is any time that God really starts to do something in my life or in the life of the church I serve, that's when Satan attacks. That's when Satan puts the wrong person in the right place to try to discourage me. 
And I've seen it happen over and over again. I remember the last church I served, we had made some significant changes, and we were having positive growth because of that. We were having more and more people come to church. We were seeing more and more people baptized. I mean, we were having multiple people every single week being baptized, and that church hadn't seen that for years. And it was an exciting time. And I remember going home from services one Sunday, and I was just pumped. I was on cloud nine. I was excited. And then I checked my email. And I had an email from a lady who'd been in our church for years who was very, very mad, very, very upset. And she complained about things that were going on. And everything that she complained about was just a personal preference. It wasn't a doctrinal issue. And she never mentioned all the people that are being baptized, all the people coming to church. That didn't matter. And I remember meeting with this lady later to talk to her. And as I'm trying to explain why we were doing some of these things we were doing, she looked at me and she said, Chad, you don't get it. I'm not talking about reaching lost people. I'm talking about da-da-da-da-da, and then she listed her personal preferences again. And I remember that hit me, I'm not talking about lost people. As if that's not my priority, my priority is me. And when I left that conversation, I was discouraged, and I had to meet someone else later on that afternoon. I already had a, a meeting scheduled with a younger guy who had been attending our church, and he asked me to go grab coffee with him, so I did. And so when I went to grab coffee with him, I really didn't want to because I was really down after that conversation. And so I met to talk with him, and he looked at me, and he said, Chad, I just want to let you know what your church is doing is changing my life. And he said, I want to thank you for reminding me that Jesus loves someone like me. This was a college-age guy who'd been away from the church for years, and in that moment, it hit me. I'm going to keep doing what God wants me to do. And some people may not get it, but when you live on mission... You're going to be criticized because of it. Jesus was ready to respond to those who were criticizing him. In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's his response to his critics to say, Hey, I'm here for a purpose, and my purpose is to reach lost people. And if you don't get that, then you're not on the same page that I'm on. See, that's Jesus' why. That's why he came, and that's what he has commissioned us to do. Guys, we are here to invite everyone to the party that God is throwing And we need to be walking invitations, not distractions. There are so many distractions in our culture today that are keeping people away from God. We don't need to be part of the distraction. We need to be walking invitations or inviting people to the party that is the resurrection of Jesus. Because when we invite people to the party, Jesus changes them. And that's what happens next. I love the next part of this story. If you want to read on with me in uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 8, look at what happens next. It says, meanwhile, while everybody's grumbling and complaining, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, before Jesus, and he said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man, this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. I love this. I bet that when Zacchaeus said out loud to everyone who was there at that cookout, I'm going to pay back anybody ever cheated four times the amount. And whatever I've left over with my wealth, I'm going to give half of it to the poor. I'm sure that when Zacchaeus said that, those who were there at the cookout probably choked on their watermelon. I'm sure they were shocked. He's going to do what? What did he just say? And why did Zacchaeus respond this way? We have no indication whatsoever that Jesus asked Zacchaeus to do this. But what we see here is that Jesus doesn't just forgive people. He transforms people. Real repentance results in action. 
And according to church tradition, Zacchaeus went on later to become an elder in the church of Caesarea. This guy who at one point was lying and deceiving people ended up leading people to Jesus. How cool is that? But what we just see here is the closer you get to Jesus, the more you start to look like him. The closer you get to Jesus, the further away you get from your past. The closer you get to Jesus, the more he changes you. Because the love of Jesus is contagious. And I wonder if it's contagious in your life right now. You may have heard about this story a few months ago in Toronto. There was this woman, her car broke down, she worked the night shift, and she was stranded at an intersection in the middle of the night when all of a sudden some teenage guys approached her car, and she thought that they were there to rob her, but they weren't. They were there to help her. So she immediately says, I don't have any money on me, I don't have any money on me, and they said, we're not here to rob you, we want to help. And she said, well, I don't even have any money to pay for a tow truck or anything. And they said, that's okay. You just steer and we'll push your car to your house. And she said, I live four miles away. So that's okay. We need the workout. And so they pushed her car four miles down the road. They arrived hours later. And here's a picture of them pushing her car, if you want to take a look at it. Some, uh, some other people saw them doing this. They pulled it behind them and they turned their lights on and their flashers on so that other cars wouldn't hit them. But they pushed her car all the way to her house. And when I heard about that story, I thought, guys, that should be the picture of the church. Because there are so many people in our world today who are broke down. They're hurt. They're lonely. They're isolated. They, their lives are full of pain. They're empty. They're longing for something more. There are Zacchaeuses all around us. And when we see them, we don't pass by. But we notice them and we let them know, you don't have to hang out in that tree anymore. Jesus has a new life for you. He has something better for you. And we're going to help you get there, even if we have to push your car four miles down the road. We're going to help you get there. We'll get our hands dirty. We'll make sacrifices. We'll do whatever it takes so that you can join in the party that is the resurrection of Jesus. Those boys were interviewed because their story was all over social media. And one of the boys was interviewed and listened to what he said after they asked him about all the attention they were receiving for doing this. He said, we really appreciate it, but we didn't do this to get attention. We just put ourselves in her shoes. If I was broken down on the side of the road... I would love for someone to stop and help out. Guys, we've got to remember that sometime in our past, for those of us who have already accepted Jesus as Lord, somebody reached out to us. Somebody saw us hurting. Someone saw us empty. Someone saw us in our broken state. And they reached out and they unleashed God's love on us. We've got to look at people in our world today and put ourselves in their shoes and realize that we were once there and Jesus wants us to reach out to them. And right now, if you're somebody who's still in the tree and you're keeping your distance from Jesus, I just want to let you know Jesus wants to call you down from that spot. He wants to heal your brokenness. He wants to make you well again. He wants to bring you peace and joy. He wants to give you eternal hope he wants to give you inner satisfaction and contentment. He doesn't promise that everything's going to be easy, but he will give you a life that actually fills the longing of your soul. 
And today, if you're still in the tree, you don't have to be anymore. Jesus is throwing a party, and you're invited to it. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and this time we had to meet together as your people in this place. Father, I just pray that we will remember the grace that you have shown us and that we will extend it to others, that we will look for those people who are hanging out in trees everywhere, the Zacchaeuses of this world, and we will invite them to your son's party. And Father, if there's anybody today listening to this message who right now is keeping their distance from Jesus, Jesus doesn't want that anymore. Remind them in this moment today that they matter to God. He knows them by name, and he wants to unleash his love on them. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.